0: Welcome to The Importance of Staying Earnest, the podcast where we discuss the elements of taking on a career in the arts as a young person in the modern day. So sit down, stand up, grab a tea or something stronger and come with us on our journey to find some direction in our lives. My name is Emily and with me is my fellow host and good friend, Harry.
1: Today we're going to be talking about things that not quite going to plan, uh, the effects of how the pandemic has thrown us around a bit and how to do your best to turn difficult situations that we've all been facing into something maybe a little bit more positive. Joining us today for a chat about all of this wonderful stuff is uh, Ollie Norton-Smith. Uh, Ollie, if you want to introduce yourself, how are you doing?
2: I'm all right, thank you. Thank you
1: for inviting me on here,
2: you guys. Uh, it's really nice to be here. I'm all right, yeah, just back from work, new job, pandemic job, all that kind of stuff. I know that what fails. are you doing uh I am a nanny now
0: oh fun yes exhausting yeah, it's... but fun
2: yeah I'm not a full-time kind of live-in situation um that's good which is good so I still have kind of mornings and uh one day a week to do other I suppose do what you would normally call like my kind of what I hope to be my proper job um yeah this director and and writing. Well yeah, like so
0: that. do you want to tell the people what you sort of want to do as your proper job and a bit about, yeah, just, just what you do?
2: Uh, I'm a writer-director uh, and artistic director of Spies Us Theatre. Uh, I'm interested in kind of uh, working with ensembles uh, and in kind of working in quite a playful way, like play as a kind of means of generating performance and on stage. Um Oh, is that is that any good? Is that rubbish? I don't really know. No,
0: that's that's good. That's you. <laughs> I was
1: going to say oh, is it is it is it true? Did you just straight up lie? That probably wouldn't be particularly. <laughs> no, that stuff's so.
2: all true. It just sounds really boring like that. Um, it doesn't
0: sound boring at all. I don't it?
2: think so. Okay. All right. All right. Well. Um.
0: Well, yeah. So I've known Ollie since uni. Um, we were on the same. Yeah, we did the exact same course, didn't we? We were both German English. Mm-hmm. Met in the first um, week. We did. I remember it well because he came in late, and when we all found out why, it's because he was. Where were you again, Ollie? Uh,
2: I I had been uh, in New York uh, working on a show where I was assistant director on a show by Incognito Theatre Company called All Quiet on the Western Front, um, which we'd done at the Fringe the summer before, and then subsequently transferred to New York, and which I think is was meant to be touring. About now, uh, if oh
0: no.
1: Wow, I um, thought you were going to yeah, say like I... I was hungover or something. Jeez,
0: <laughs> no, I was a
1: uni story. That's what I was expecting. I'd...
0: I I yeah. like making Ollie tell that story because I know it makes him feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, sorry I just, about that, mate.
2: It, it just sound like a bit. Uh, I don't. not know. It's a bit. It's, it's, it wasn't it, okay. Put it this way: when I started in, in fresh this week and I didn't know anyone and I came late and everyone had already made friends, you um, sound like a, a bit of a knob that's kind of your first <laughs> most people's introduction to you um but yeah especially because yeah we're all in the same boat that was it
0: yeah no well uh, to be honest I don't think anyone or at least not that I ever heard sort of saw you that way I remember like hearing it on the grapevine like oh he's just got back from doing this play in in New York and I remember thinking like oh my goodness like am I a bit behind and do I need to be do I need to be doing and then everyone more? met me, me?
2: <laughs> yeah and everyone exactly and like uh, no, I'm kidding. He's actually um, quite rubbish.
0: <laughs> no, I, I was then like, oh, no, he he lived up to the hype. So fair play to him. Um,
2: All right, that's very kind well,
0: of to So say. on doing things at uni, um, so off the back of, well, not completely off the back of that, but after that, you then created your company that you mentioned, Spies Like Us. Um, yeah. And so I was just wondering a little bit about how that actually came about and sort of what it was like trying to run your own company whilst doing a degree and being at uni
2: yeah so it was uh it was strange really um I think I I wasn't totally enamored with university in my first year I wasn't that happy um and one of my best friends Hamish who is the other artistic director of the company with me and he performs in all the shows and we've written um, all of them together, uh, at least with us two, we've worked with other people as well. All through my gap year, he was the year below me. We were, we were friends from school, uh, and he was in the year below me. And all through my gap year, so his final year, I was kind of writing pitches for Scratch Nights when I didn't really know how to write a pitch for anything. Um, and I still don't, to be honest. I'm absolutely hopeless. Um, but uh, we've been, we've been going through all that basically and hadn't got anywhere and we kind of had worked through a series of all-male companies um what was what we were trying to do which were kind of based on Mm. ideas for things that had begun at school and incognito the company that i'd worked with as assistant director they had the reason i I knew them uh was because they had done young pleasants uh which is the pleasants one of the big four venues at edinburgh and they also have a venue in and islington in london um it's their youth theatre company we'd all met doing that and they were a few years older than me and the pleasants has an amazing scheme called xyp which is kind of for graduates of young pleasants to kind of start making their own work at the fringe in edinburgh Mm -hmm. um and they'd been they'd been the xyp company previously and then we went to write an application um And it kind of went from there and all the other uh, founding members, so Alex Holly, Phoebe Campbell, Rosa Collier, Tulio Campanale and Nicky Carrier. And we pitched a play that I always thought would be really good. Uh, I read the Graham Greene novel, Our Man in Havana, when Mm. I was about 14 or 15. I always thought it would make a really fun adaptation for a stage play with a really small company, And I was interested in Hamish and I at the company, we wanted to work in a a physical ensemble style. Um, And we thought it'd be quite a good first show because it could be very silly and it's very ridiculous. And with its kind of themes of um, misinformation and kind of fake truth, uh, we thought it was quite resonant. And I'd always had the idea that I thought could be really good of working with a, um, of basically telling the whole story with just a, 1950s vacuum cleaner because the protagonist is a vacuum cleaner salesman living in Cuba and it's in set in the fifties uh, and that was kind of it basically it's all come from there yeah in terms and I can of...
0: confirm it's a very good show I think I've seen it <laughs> I want to say I've seen it twice now I think I saw it both years you did it oh Fringe. cool I
2: mean we did it again fairly recently um, uh, at Vault Festival in March 2020 and. Um,
0: just in time.
2: Uh, yeah, I think we did it yeah, the, the third to the fifth or something in last March, right. um, uh, which was really fun. Um, working with a new actor for the first time in the Roles, but it's in terms of how it was starting a company at uni. Obviously, the first thing to do is kind of recognise immense privilege to kind of have that opportunity at the Pleasance, which is such a big venue, and they give us some amazing support. And in terms of the mm-hmm. finance as well, basically the deal was that they kind of fronted almost all the upfront costs oh, um, wow. production costs oh. and they came out of our profit which we were fortunate enough to have because we, we the, the, the the show was a success but um, the deal was basically that they would front it up and if we hadn't made the money back we wouldn't be in debt so that was the chance it was something to basically make nice. a mistake and we, we ended up making it enough to kind of put towards a future show uh, and a next project and we kind of basically for the subsequent because that was in the summer of first year going into second year and then for the su- every subsequent break in studies we were either doing a Christmas revival of a summer show mm. um staging a new show in the summer and taking it to the fringe and then kind of Easter break we spend it doing a couple of days R&D for whatever we we're going to do in the summer Um, And that was kind of our model Um, and in final year, we tried to kind of expand things a bit more and because we were emerging, we were kind of changing from being a group of mates who wanted to make a show into something a bit more professional and a bit more formal, formal being there's the wrong word there. I mean, I, I mean, purely in terms of just the structures we had in place and kind of how people were seeing us, we realised that like that people were actually thinking about us as a company and not just a group of friends and students. This is um, well, it's a very long, rambling answer to your right. original <laughs> question then. But yeah, that I've, got, I've got lots to say about it. I, I mean, because it obviously started with a project and, and started with basically started a company with the desire being for all of us to do the jobs we were doing within that. So I wanted to be a, a director and I wanted to yeah. write and Hamish wanted to write and to perform and everyone wanted to perform, all the others wanted to perform, Nicky wanted to produce. And basically out of that desire, it wasn't, uh, I never wanted to be an AD, I never wanted to be an artistic director, um, kind of fell into that. Um, And I think that's kind of maybe the most interesting element or the most unexpected element of doing it and kind of being at the head of it with Hamish.
0: Mm. So like how, I mean, how did you sort of, find it managing your time to sort of do all those projects whilst you were still at uni like obviously I suppose sort of sharing that AD role might have helped sort of lighten the load a bit I guess
2: um well on sharing the load I mean it was amazing working with Hamish uh, yeah. and it still is but the thing that was quite difficult when we were he studied economics at Durham uh, and I was at, at Manchester with UN doing mission drama and uh, it was brilliant. Like you say, we we shared the load. And like I think we're both people more comfortable bouncing off people around us. Um, mm. But it just it sometimes makes things quite hard, particularly when we were apart and we'd be in kind of deadline season. But in terms of balancing things, I mean, to be brutally honest, in kind of first and second year, I just wasn't really doing enough work at uni. I kind yeah. of... <laughs> one thing that did help was the shows. We made them all in two weeks right before we went to the festival. We never did um, anything... More than that,
0: Gosh. Um, what's that? We, what's we, that
2: process we'd like? We would have like. two or three days of R and D in March and April, which basically would normally consist of us kind of dancing around in my family living room because we couldn't afford rehearsal space, um, or Hamish's front room, and yeah, then we kind of go into the summer with an idea of a script that we would then kind of rip apart, and that and, and it's a model that we, we're not interested in doing any more because it was incredibly yeah. stressful and I was gonna we'd always say, be two
0: weeks to not actually be going in with like a complete script that's
2: well we, and we'd have we'd, we'd have no material we'd do it all in two weeks and it'd be a really tight turnaround but we we work quickly and I think I was just a massive autocrat at that point um I, I it's not a model that is was conducive for kind of a positive working environment uh, as we got older and the shows got more ambitious um, and we grew in confidence, and we kind of appreciated what we were doing more. Um, yeah. But it was the model that we, that kind of model of turning it around in a tight time frame was what we learnt doing Young Pleasance. That was mm. that was the way it worked because you can't get thirty kids for more than even then getting them for ten days, two weeks is quite hard in summer, especially if you're then going up to the Fringe for a couple of weeks afterwards. That that was just the way that we'd all learnt how to do it and we didn't know that was where we thought that was the way and also with <laughs> our us all having terms at different times and some of us going traveling and it, none of us were ever at the same kind of stage like some of us graduated to like a, a, while other people finished first year and people not ever went to uni and people went to drama school people went to all over the place mm. um So, yeah, it's just a bit, uh, it it was what it had to be, I think, (laughs) at that stage.
0: Yeah, of course. Talking about sort of how you want to do things now, I suppose that leads us on to post uni. Um, Because Mm. actually, and so sort of me and Harry have discussed that one of the reasons we decided to make this podcast in the first place was that both of us ended uni knowing what we wanted, like where we wanted to get to, but kind of unsure of like how to get there. Because, you know, you're suddenly leaving this space where there are structures in place for you to create work, to do things. um,
1: Or even just distract you, graduated, Pardon, Harry? Or even just distract you. Like, even if it's not the case that you're there making work, you're in a position where you're like, oh, I'm at uni. I'm doing something. And all of a sudden you go from having that thing that you're doing that is fulfilling, at least societally, I think, is like, you're like, yeah, I'm at uni. I'm doing things. to All of a sudden... (laughs) Oh, I'm not doing things. I can kind of start going in the direction that I want to go, but I don't know where to start
0: yeah, um whereas obviously you graduated, Ollie, mm. with like something ready to like dive into, and yeah, I remember thinking like, "Oh, I wish I was in that boat now um, <laughs> but how how did you sort of find that post uni
2: i think I think graduating is hard for everyone um yeah. I I think that, like you say, you've even if you've had a gap here, like I did, or if you haven't, it probably even more so. You've been on this kind of you've kind of put your brain on this conveyor of constant, like I don't know, is it logarithmic growth? I don't
1: know. I did drama. Um, <laughs> uh, some of, that just sounds like a thing forward. Log- yeah, Log- logarithmic sounds- growth is definitely a thing. I have no idea what it means yeah i mean
2: yeah we can we uh, look we can all we can all look in a thesaurus and make ourselves sound clever i'm good at that but uh (laughs) cleverer than i actually am anyway but um but yeah anyway you're always on that kind of upward escalator towards the next big end goal and like it and then and and then you're kind of dumped out in the big bad world none of this is a particularly original thing to say but it hits everyone is aware of it more or less and some people negate that by going straight into grad schemes and things like that. But I mm. think when you're basically aiming to go into a career that will almost always, in any kind of most optimistic sense, be freelance, um, the impetus is hugely on you to start building up your portfolio. And yeah, um, it's really interesting to hear you say that, a kind of looking at spies and thinking, oh, that'd be a nice thing to have. But no one... People don't really give gigs to companies. Um, it, it's well, they do. That's enough. but <laughs> it's it's really hard. Like, uh, and then t- what you kind of described there, I suppose, kind of taps into something that is quite difficult, and it's a very blessed kind of curse to have to really mix the meanings of those words. But uh, because uh, everything that I've done is is with. Spies Like Us, and I'm I'm incredibly proud of that. But people, like, Spies Like Us doesn't write an application for an assistant director gig and not get it like I Mm. do. And sometimes if all your work has seemed to be with this one thing that you, like, your name is on every piece of it and it's like, well, you've just made your own work. And I think coming straight out of uni and people reading a CV, and it doesn't take a genius to look at the dates, people kind of work out quickly. oh, this person is self-producing their work. And I think that there's a perhaps unfair impression or idea of a lot of the work that gets made by people at uni of it kind of being quite Yeah, subpar. I was going to say, do you
0: think that's perhaps like more of an issue of the perception of self-produced work?
2: I don't know, honestly. I really don't know because like everything, there's some great stuff, there's some terrible stuff. and well, a, yeah. Most of it is middling. Um, that's the way with any art I think um, but it's I don't, I don't that's a big question uh, <laughs> um, it's alright
0: I'm not expecting you to come up with all the answers
2: no I mean I've got none so you'll be waiting a while um, <laughs> I, I've not got a single job ever in my life as a director beyond that first AD gig that took me to New York with Incognito Theatre with mm. people who are new anyway but I'm, and so that's really kind of an exception um I've not got a single job as a director as myself I've had other jobs as kind of a facilitator and working in schools but generally kind of getting that off the back of something else I've done what someone's seen but I've never had any work as a director um based off anything I've done as Ollie Norton Smith director writer right uh pretender don't know chancer whatever you want to say. it's alright we will just fake it till we have make you, it true yeah. have you gone have you
1: gone for jobs and not oh yeah, them? yeah
2: yeah yeah I, I know I know Grace talks about the kind of 100 rejections challenge on Twitter mm. Um, mm. Uh, who you've spoken to before uh, uh, yeah it's, it's got to be that it's got to be 100 maybe not that many actually maybe maybe <laughs> it just feels like more but yeah. it is it, yeah countless countless ones and also I've applied yeah. for loads with spies as well but the problem is, is that there's so many people with so little money and yeah quite in, i understand why it's difficult to get money from the arts council and i think there is a kind of weird thing mm-hmm. that happens you think uh that that kind that kind of must be it and uh, like if you don't get the arts council funding it's like oh there's no money there's no more money no one has any but Obviously there is other stuff out there, but I've got no idea where it is. Um, and we, we kind of walked out of uni and we had a really busy summer. We had some really cool stuff lined up We we did our Man in Havana at a festival in Hong Kong uh, in, in June, like directly oh, after, yeah, like, before we graduated. And then we went to the Fringe in with, with a show that I'd written and I'd taken the lead on. And Himish had... had Written parts of it with me, but like I very much kind of put it as m- my my shows this it was a show that I'd kind of written uh, whilst I was in my final year rather than and it was the first time not doing an adaptation as well, which our previous two shows were, and it was a really difficult it didn't really work for a lot of reasons, and I think talking about that kind of model of the way we'd worked and the kind of the changing relationship we'd had with one another and with the company that as in the way that it had evolved over those three years we it was not a good working environment and we weren't really paying ourselves um
0: right. because
2: there still wasn't any money for that I mean I mean we, that's we a were,
0: constant issue I think trying to start out isn't it
2: yeah and I think that that is the biggest to come back to an earlier thing you were saying and I think that that is the biggest benefit we had from us all being at uni starting a company is that we were willing to work for free because we were excited and we didn't realize that that wasn't that was an option that we were choosing to do that it was just that was almost what that was almost the default and thinking Mm -hmm. about it that way and i I, I, i'm i'm not necessarily happy about that i mean i'm i'm really happy about the opportunities that we kind of made for ourselves but we did a lot for nothing and we will always have done a lot for nothing. There isn't a kind of way of correcting that unless someone gives us I don't know, 50 grand and then we can pay ourselves <laughs> retrospectively for the months of work that we've all put in. But even that probably wouldn't be enough.
0: Yeah, good luck asking the Arts
2: Council DC, for that. Rate. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't go Arts Council to pay for anything that has already happened anyway. So let alone doing a show that we've subsequently done about 60 times since. Like, that's mm-hmm. never going to happen. I don't feel pity for myself. Like It's not kind of self-pitying thing there. It's kind of I suppose maybe an element of guilt at leading this thing with Hamish and I mean we didn't we, we never took any we, we, we've we all always been paid the same that has always been uh something we've absolutely insisted on of, in terms of what the jobs that we're doing in rehearsal and that's kind of becoming a bit more different as we become more professional and we're kind of working mm-hmm. with bigger budgets and people have different rates and daily rates versus weekly rates and all that kind of stuff but in principle, we all we'll get paid the same because the whole ethos of the company is about collective responsibility and the idea of an ensemble and that kind of democratic group that extending beyond the stage. And it's not just in rehearsals, it's kind of everything we do. And that is what we're about. So we try and kind of weave the form of the organisation with the content of the shows that we're making. Yeah.
1: So um, it's, it sounds to me like there's an interesting wrestling match going on in terms of the the way that you see the company which is you've talked a lot there about the money side of things from and from hearing it from an outsider it sounds like you've had actually a pretty reasonable amount of success i'm not sure there are many people out there who can say they've had a company you know throughout their years of uni who've put on numerous shows who people have been to see um even if it's if it's perhaps not you know made millions or whatever that is but how do you reconcile often the ability to create something with the knowledge that you have to try and manipulate a side of the industry that's, especially when you're starting out, really, really tricky and can take up the majority of your energy? I'm just interested in what your perspective, having been a part of a company that you've made, what you have in... in 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 your reserves maybe your mental reserves to combat that feeling of okay we don't have a lot of money but i really want to put this show on or i really want to make this thing how do you go about um establishing that either as a group or in the, the democratic fashion as you mentioned or with your creative uh, fellow creative director or just how do you how do you bring that to bear
2: well it's changed is the first thing to say i think that's a really interesting point harry like it, it, it has it's changed over the three years, and I think mm. part of it kind of again refers back to that idea I talked about previously of like not getting not starting a company to be an artistic director and to have total autonomy. We started a company because we wanted to make a show, and I wanted to be a director, and yeah. all these brilliant actors wanted to act, and Hamish and I was glad blah blah blah. Like not to labour the point, but from the start, Hamish and I were really aware and I think kind of part of that again was we did a show when we were at Young Pleasants that all the shows are brilliant and it has been, it was an amazing education for all of us theatrically and we were all as performers and kind of the trust they put into us to help create the show was absolutely incredible um, but I think that what we learned really keenly was that kind of fringe ecology um, and economy, particularly in, in Edinburgh. Um, and we understood the value. We, every day we'd go out and fly, and I know everyone does that, and that is the deal, that what you do. You go out and you fly and you, you sell your company and you sell your show. Mm. We had this experience, and it was kind of quite intoxicating when being kind of 17, 18, and being like, wow, yeah. we're in a hit. Wow, it's so exciting. And we kind of had been involved in shows either side of that, which hadn't been... Anywhere near as successful, they were still great shows, but they mm. kind of hadn't had this huge audience response. Uh, and having worked with Incognito, who have an incredible record of selling out, I think every fringe run they've ever done. Yeah. Um, no, and they then being our kind of predecessors as XYP company, and just kind of who we are. Like I said, Hamish did economics. Um, I'd worked in uh, in recruitment in in the city of London in my gap year, and we came, we started with a real keen sense of this and it's something that I think we just kind of feel as people of it has to pay the bills it can't just be a vanity project and we didn't want it to be one of those things where we're relying on the on friends to come and see it like because that's not sustainable mm. and that's not a career yeah. that's charity yeah Um so that was something we were really keenly aware of and we kind of came into it with that sense of kind of knowing we've got to get the marketing side of things right and there's always that balance as ad's and I, I and hamish and i feel it very keenly i think i don't want to speak mm. on his behalf but i certainly do of trying to, to always trying to balance it you're kind of being your own like limiter as well as your own enabler you're uh, yeah. all that kind of constant wrestling match of kind of balancing your ambition with how much you how many t- seats you know in the theater and how big the stage is and, yeah total um, freedom is
1: a bit of a beast that uh can bite you as much as help you out yeah, but I think we've proven that we're good businessmen.
2: Um yeah. if nothing else. And like I think that there's a lot of there's a lot that can be said about that, about the kind of I don't know if ethics is necessarily the right conversation to have about it, but about the kind of value of seeing value in art in those terms. Yeah. Um as we kind of moved out of uni, the thing has shifted enormously because we're not you talked about it, Harry of like you come out of uni and you've had this thing to do. We, we, we don't have anything else now. This is, this is the career. So yeah. in the same way that I'm not going to work for free, well, I'm just not going to work for free. <laughs> uh, like th- That's very much the case with spies. And the fact yeah. is, is that Hamish and I, we do a, a huge amount of work for free anyway, just on the day to day running of the company um, that we're never going to get paid for in the short term. That's fine. Yeah. Like, we kind of take that responsibility but when we came, when we we, we I'll start speaking about Speedo and the Vault Festival 2010 today, if I may, because that's kind of what has defined post uni for us, and it's kind of still where my yeah. head's at with that with Corona having interrupted plans. Yeah, Vault Festival was kind of felt no. like a really logical next step for us, having done the Fringe for three years, and kind of started to do some stuff in London at the Pleasants and starting to go abroad and further and outside of London in the UK, and Edinburgh, of course. But yeah, so we pitched that to them and, and they said yes at the last minute and we basically scrambled to try and cast the show.
0: Gosh.
2: Get, right an Arts Council bid and having said after Edinburgh 2019, we're not going to do this Edinburgh-centric model where we have two weeks to make everything. We're not doing it. <laughs> we suddenly were like, oh my God, we're going to get in the same the boat again, but just not well. for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we basically, we... we met some amazing actors in in audition, and we basically we were straight with them. we said, "Look, um, you're contracted on a basis of if we get the arts council money, this is your rate if we don't it's this and we were all and these are people who are uh, this was a step up for us as a company with people with how we we saw it as They've got they've got real credits. They've got real gigs. They're yeah. not just these people who have done this work as their friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I'm. I don't mean to do to service to to everyone. Everyone else that like, the people the original company are just the most incredible actors. We, it was such an incredible stroke of fortune that we all met when we did, and the continued success of everyone involved is only testament to that. But I I guess um, but we met them all, and then we were kind of like, oh my god, we're gonna do this, and if we don't get the money. This is gonna be rubbish and I don't know and I'm gonna to have to well we're gonna to have to tell them that we don't have any money and it's just mm-hmm. gonna really change the vibe. Nikki Nikita, our producer, uh, who doesn't work with us anymore, but she had experience writing funding applications for other companies who so she worked with, say Opia Collective and New Theatre, both in making wicked work. She kind of led the charge on this and we were really lucky to be successful in that and so we we, we got this the funding to do this working these work in progress shows at the vaults uh in march and it was a huge uh it was hugely liberating to do work in progresses because whilst we kind of still put it together in quite a tight time frame it was a lot broader it wasn't two weeks right before and that was it and also we like the first performance wasn't the first of a 27 day run it was mm. the first of a two night work in progress run where we knew we had loads of things that we weren't happy with um and it was just very liberating and nice <laughs> um but we also had a, a big thing to mention is that we had have had and have had and continue to have incredible support from venues we're lucky to have that so uh, everything that i say like take it with a huge pinch of salt because like I say our our kind of journey is laced with privilege and kind of fortune and good luck as I suppose many stories like this are but yeah I think it's also I
0: you know you have done some amazing things I've seen some of the work you've done and like I'm just full of admiration really you haven't just got there by luck but it's also nice to know that you know I, I think it's good for people to hear the positive stories like when things do work out and that yes, it's a lot of hard work and and a lot of graft and a lot of, you know, starting out not really getting paid and and all this, but that actually you can grow and it will take time, but things will sort of slowly get there, I suppose.
2: Yeah, and I mean, like, the end goal is that we're that the, the, these kind of conversations never have to be had again. Like yeah. we, we do, we are paying ourselves properly now. And like, that was something that has come in over the three years. It wasn't something that, uh, the, the, almost five years now, blimey. but um <laughs> that have kind of come in over the, over the years of like, we, it, it wasn't just like, right, we're done with uni. Now we're going to be serious. It's like, it's been a gradual thing and kind of paying ourselves for a hundred quid for a day's work in a school. 100 quid each uh, here and there for like a day's work in a school or like, getting paid to go to Hong Kong was, was kind of a very ironing one. But
0: yeah.
2: all these kind of things they, they have kind of developed and um, we didn't go into any of it with a plan and now we're just trying to formulate one. But then obviously <laughs> last March happened and yes. uh, well,
0: Speed yeah, Doll was, gonna... was
2: amazingly exciting. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask Awful. you like how that sort of affected you guys and like you know as you're going all steam ahead to sort of have that like just Full sudden stop. break slammed on for you
2: yeah i mean felt like crest of a wave kind of thing i'm sure that most people felt an element of that in some way whenever you have a huge interruption whether as of any kind you always feel like oh, i was this close to that thing that i wanted mm. and it's probably not true but it felt really exciting, and the, the fact that like we we did our work in progress of speed though on the sixth and seventh of March, and then a week later, no one was at the, the faults by all accounts. I, I I actually went abroad the day after we finished our run,
1: oh, um, gosh. and
2: apparently just no one was there after that. So we we again another moment of incredible fortune. Like if the pandemic, if our if we'd been programmed a week later, I have no idea what I'd be talking to you about now. I'd be going well. Got the show speed dial. We kind of got the money, but we never did it, and we don't know what it's like. Um, but we, we did it, and it was, and we had a really positive reaction from it, and Good. we were really excited by it. So basically, we hoped that now we'd be touring. Um, that was the plan, and we kind of had had some initial discussions. And the next thing for the company we always thought was an extended London run and/or a regional national tour. Um, hmm. And that's kind of still what we're working towards. But the question is when and we kind of we've had conversations with venues and the thing that I remember when we we were kind of doing Havana and Vojcek in 2017 and 2018, the thing was always like, oh, if only we could get this venue to come and see us, then we'd go and do the show at that venue. And now we're we're able to talk to some of those venues because of the work we've done. But then the, mm. the, the question is still like, oh, but now the question is, oh, great, we've got that slot, but I can't do that slot if there's no money. So it's trying to get the funding and trying to drum it up and see what little pockets of money we can tap into or how we can write a convincing arts council bid. And we essentially have a uh, we have a show that we really believe in that we got amazing feedback from last March because we did feedback forms and we kind of spoke to people a lot and we kind of had our own ideas about it. And me and Hamish have been writing it along with Joe Large, um, who yeah, you'll, you'll yeah, also know you from it. uni. Oh, great, yeah, he's amazing. He's been writing the script with us. Um, and he's just been a brilliant person to have on board. Um, we uh, We're just basically trying to finish it and yeah. look ahead to finishing it. We've got, we've got an arts council bid in at the moment. I submitted it the other day. Um, for a lot, of, a lot of money. That's the thing that it becomes apparent quite quickly. And I wish, I always say, is I wish that we decided that we wanted to do a, a theatre company that was just always one man and his dog, and no one else was involved, <laughs> and we never had any set or anything like that, because then it'd be a lot cheaper. But I'll say, I, I can't think of anything worse and anything less me than doing that. Um, no but always having not, five actors you're on a one stage man show
0: and... kind of guy
2: no it's not uh, no it's not what i'm interested in I, i'm i think we're all interested in kind of bringing everybody up around us and hopefully yeah. and sharing the load and sharing the blame as well as the praise um <laughs> but yeah like so we've we, we've kind of we've got dates penciled in for july um it's where we're at at the moment and nice. well, if we get crossed. them. I think that what I found really hard with Speed Dull's case is that it is a show that there's been some amazing things that have come out of it, and it emerged from a, a kind of a, it's been inspired by a, a short section of a story, um, and it kind of its meaning and its narrative emerged from very personal stakes for me, and the show itself has felt like something that it just would not work. In the way that we see it in any other form, and I, I, mm. I have tremendous admiration and respect for some of the amazing stuff that companies and artists have made that is um that has been online and has been filmed, and I think it would be an amazing like feature film. But again, I can't find fifteen grants from the Arts Council. That <laughs> I don't know, I fifteen much. million quid. Yeah, like it's it, 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 <laughs> There's there's. There's arrogance, then there's arrogance in that sense. But um, you, uh, it feels like because it's a show that is about human connection over large distances. It's about estrangement, and also it's about kind of the British education system, and it's a feel-good kind of jukebox thrillery mystery who done it all in one. (laughs) And like I feel like it's we've been kind of hugely fortunate by the show started. 18 months ago when we started thinking about it all those things have just become more relevant and then the idea that it's you sure you wrote that 18 months ago what (laughs) like Like last week i i know it sounds like like it sounds too too convenient to be true and i I, we certainly learned into some of those elements but those were that was the defining idea like i've I've published the the pitch document i made um on on our website as a blog and you can read it there and it's it's pretty much i mean that's what it's about um, and that was written in September, 2019, um, which is kind of very weird. And like, I, I promise I didn't start all
1: of this guys. I was um, going to
0: say, I'm getting a bit suspicious now. It's, this it's a
1: actually, really it was, elaborate, like marketing campaign. Yeah. You've yeah. gone, <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. going to, this is going to be big.
2: <laughs> I really, I need this guy who used to love pangolins. Anyway, um, the, uh, yeah, but, but the kind of big thing with that, the, the relevance kind of makes you go, Oh, I'm itching to do this. The distance from doing your job makes you go, "Oh, I really want to do my job," but then kind of the way that our shows are and the kind of this kind of being at a bigger scale and it was going to be something that really brought people together, people together and made yeah. them feel good. It just feels like it is a show that really needs to be live. And I, yeah. I, you, there's something you talked about, like the thing that brought me the great, brings me the pleasure, potentially being that kind of creating. And I think I absolutely love it and I really enjoyed it with Speeddale for. Uh, in a totally different way because I felt like I was doing my job for the first time I felt like I was being a director because I'd always felt like that before I'd never not felt like it but I realized I, I, I kind of really after I kind of got out of that kind of funnel of uni and working in your holidays and making shows and the other ones and doing all that not really ever thinking about what I was doing and the mistakes I was making and kind of I really felt like I learned a lot and I was putting a lot into it i was excited to kind of do that next bit but uh, and i really did love the creation of speed dial it's also insanely stressful (laughs) but i'd be a liar if i didn't say that the ad in me and maybe it's the businessman and maybe it's the cynic or maybe it's just the kind of like cold empiricist who when i see people coming into an auditorium and i see it getting fuller and fuller or when I see people clapping at the end, like that—that that feels amazing. Um, a lot of validation. Like of that. that's the thing. Yeah, that's that. That I, I think that that is the joy of being an artistic director and a writer and a director for me. Or perhaps not the the sole joy, but perhaps what I find to be the richest one. Art like most audience. of us,
0: most of us end up wanting, particularly if you end up going into the like writing, directing, you know, rather than acting route. You know, you want to bring people together and you want to make them. Mm be entertained you want to make people smile or you know feel whatever it is that like the show is relevant to and yeah you know and i I guess with the themes of speed dial i guess it'll just make it all the sweeter when you do finally get it back in front of an audience again
2: no mate Um, lockdown nine you heard it here first
0: (laughs) oh no ollie don't say that
2: (laughs) too locked too down (laughs) yeah exactly well that's the way we're going tokyo drifts inbound
0: on that note going from being all the business side of things to just doing something a bit more fun and creative um ollie we've got a little game for you to do if you'd be so kind before you leave us of course um and so i'm going to give you um like a brief a pitch um of something you've been asked to do for a job you've got you've got that directing gig you can just let us know what you would do with it what springs to mind um What's your thought when you process hear it <laughs> um, behind it so ollie you have been approached to create and direct a production of king lear um, you've been asked to make it accessible and understandable for younger audiences as it's going to tour primary schools
2: Whoa, okay. How do you how do you attack? Uh, so I'm just, I, I'm in briefing mode. I'm just okay, writing no, this Okay, no, I'll leave you to down. it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I will say the first thing I would do is uh, read King Lear. Um, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a production of King Lear. And I don't think I've ever read the whole production. If I know what it's about, I think. I mean, it's famous last words. Isn't it? So, well, I think, I'll talk about this in terms of, perhaps, lesson, in, in terms of, the moments of my production I think oh yeah about no i'm
0: not expecting the people the whole that in depth. i'd want
2: to work with oh well, yeah in work? act two scene three this is how, <laughs> the, anyway, the first <laughs> I mean, thing I, I wouldn't have a clue <laughs> yeah the first thing i do is uh acknowledge what my weaknesses are and what i don't know anything about uh and i talk to people who kind of work with shakespeare in schools to kind of consult them mm. and ask them for some advice and some opinions um, I'd immediately think about how to approach the dreaded text. Uh, Robert Ike's been doing these Zoom uh yes. with... Uh, I can't remember. He was talking about Shakespeare and how people... Um, old people, in his words, kind of tended to criticise people's performances of it. Wait, let me try and find this thing. I've actually just totally... It's gone out totally out of my head. Give me one moment. I'm really That's sorry. sorry. Oh, I'm not
1: going to have to find it now, am I? Oh, uh, not sorry. Continue my... with your your thought process surrounding um, your production of King Lear for kids. King Lear for kids. Well,
2: I think I'd probably call it that. Actually, thank you for that, Harry. Thank you for that inspired <laughs> yeah, title you've been praising mine <laughs> earlier. Um, King Lear for kids. Uh, so, primary school. What we're saying is the maximum age here. We're talking eleven, twelve, or ten. Yeah, so 11. I think
0: primary school. We'll we'll say like eight to eleven year olds.
2: Eight to 11 years. Okay, so I think the most important thing to do is to find the analogues, the points of reference. And it's not about kind of making Leah a TikTok star or anything like that, but it's about kind of finding the points of reference and (laughs) contemporary resonance about Mm. what the world is, what the world they're looking into is. And so then that kind of bit, because I think that is the immediate barrier with kids' theatre is Mm. about they, they bring so much more imagination to it than you possibly can. And I think my biggest thing in my creative process would be leave loads and loads and loads of time to workshop it and get test audiences in mm. because feedback of kids is more on- honest and brutal than you can ever get. Um, oh,
0: they will tell you exactly kids what they are think.
2: Savage, <laughs> Kids are savage, man. Kids are savage. One thing kids are is honest. I would think about how to make it funny sad and not distancing would be Mm. that would be my kind that would be my three-point agenda in terms of thinking about this production and i know that people don't think of king lear as funny but i think that a big route into all these kind of things and perhaps it's the kind of the silly silly person in me just kind of is leaning into theatricality and i think that that is something that really works well with young audiences of kind of not pretending that any of this is real making it quite clearly transparently a performance um because i think that's what they relate to and they engage with more innately and maybe that's why maybe i'm saying that because of me because i think that everything that i do is kind of playing in one form or another I just think of theater and sets as toy boxes to make something else out of but that's kind of the vibe that i'd want to do in terms of accessibility I don't, you know what well, I'm, I'm drawing blanks here. I'm done there. That's me done at the moment.
1: No, no I think... That I, sounds I, I don't think good. you're drawing blanks at all.
0: Um, no, very impressed. Um, I feel like and, I've said a lot you, without saying anything. That's nah, all right. I'll edit it out to it. It sounds like you said loads. Um,
1: <laughs> that is an art form in and of itself as well. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: So, thank you for doing that. And as a thank you, I am going to, and I, I've literally set up a timer on my phone, um, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. For you to plug, where More people time. can find you, what you're up to, yeah, where where should the good people look to find you, what you're doing, maybe spies like us, whatever you want, and begin.
2: Fantastic. Well, find me currently sat at my desk uh, at twenty to ten on a Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter at o a Norton Smith. Uh, Instagram with spies like us, we and for Twitter we are at spies like us underscore on Twitter and at spies like us theatre on Instagram on Twitter and we're www.spieslikeustheatre.com. We're hopefully going to be performing in July. We've got education resources if you work in a school, loads of them on on our website. Get in touch with us. Uh, we're hopefully going to be on tour this time next that's year. Time maybe. Uh, oh, and it, oh, right there, I actually Tried to be too smart at the that's start, and I was trying to be funny, and I made it. I made it. Rubbish. <laughs> tried
0: to make a joke it's all that right really, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll tell right. everyone at the end
2: oh if you work at the what? arts council i'll plug my application my application number is whatever
0: number number <laughs> number <laughs> um well thank you so so much for chatting to us on a wednesday evening when you've just gotten back from doing your job um really appreciate so it and it's me. been really lovely to speak to you
2: well, talk, thank you so much for having me, guys. And yeah, good luck with the podcast and with the project. Uh, I hope it all goes really well and I hope you get some great guests
1: on. There's there's one topic I want to bring up from that conversation. And that was when he mentioned about self-producing his work and seemingly the flip side of what we've discussed uh, in uh, the episode with, with other Ollie, oddly enough, two <laughs> Ollies on on the same topic with different perspectives, how he talks about the fact that starting his company was a way for him to make work and to mm. to be a director and for his friends to act and, and write and all that kind of stuff but how that seems to have kind of stabbed him in the back in a strange way as to getting quote-unquote real industry jobs and I, I don't I I, I still haven't I think, quite fully processed it what, I, I, mean, I think
0: it's an interesting one and I think it completely comes down to actually what what you want to end up doing so, for example, with other Ollie, um, he wants, you know, the the Apex singers to be his his main job. And so he's very happy to spend his energies into building that. And like, you know, I, I'm sure he will want other projects and he, he does do other, other things as well. But he's he's happy to to put all those energies into building that to a point whereby that is that is his full time job. Whereas I think this Ollie, lovely Ollie Norton-Smith, he, while he loves doing all the work with spies like us, I think he also wants to, to work with other companies and, and, and other groups of people and, and things. And neither is right or wrong or better than one another. It just comes down to what it is that you're looking to do, I think. And I think it is a real shame, as he sort of touched on, that sometimes self-produced work, can be seen as as lesser than had you been you know hired by some other company to to be an assistant director or director or whatever um and you know i i get it there is some truly awful self-produced work out there but there's also some brilliant stuff um and so i guess it's it's difficult to to try and differentiate between the two
1: it's a fascinating question um because on the one hand Work, 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 right? Build up everything you can. And, you know, if you, if, 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 if all the doors are closed, make your own kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, it's like, I do recognize the fact that it's like, well, if someone else has recognized, someone who themselves has a reputation recognizes your work as being legitimate, professional, of quality, because you've worked under them in a professional space, that does kind of hold a bit more but then again what does the initiative to go out and create your own thing hold it's just an interesting collision of ideas that really well, i, mean, I hey, haven't thought of the day, about like,
0: before like what what is a measure of quote i'm doing little air quotes but you can't see that because this is a podcast but um of good art like that you know the, there's nothing to say what is and what isn't um and actually in, in many ways having the the gumption to go out and do things i think that's that is a brilliant thing but i'm also saying this as a person who does self-produce things
2: well,
1: yeah and <laughs> um, i mean this, this but actually, this whole... actually i think
0: another big thing sorry to interrupt you Harry, but no, is right. networking but obviously you do yeah. get more so when you're working with different companies on different projects as opposed to the same group of people yeah. as a part of the same company um on on a variety of shows which yeah. is obviously very helpful and um I you know that that can also Im- improve your own skills because you get to learn from from different people as opposed to constantly being surrounded by the same group
1: yeah i mean and there are i mean you know you've got examples on both on both you know sides of of the coin- some companies which are in themselves you know obscure and obscure forever and then other some something like Punch drunk, which mm. was in its just a bunch of people out of uni making a company admittedly with a pretty exceptionally executed idea um I mean, same as frantic
0: assembly. Well, exactly <laughs> you know, right. So all it's these not, things started as small. Like what? A, it, it, doesn't things. it
1: seem like a point of, hind, a point of hindsight and, and hubris to say like, ah, oh, self-produced produce work, not from us or from anyone, but like, it's it again. It's just a fascinating question that seems to have no no answer in terms of what who who judges your work. Maybe that's what we have to take. Who well, judges it? Is it you? Is it something else? Is it is is your work? You know created in and of itself and and does that hold value in and of when you create it and that's it or do you try to build things in order to extend you somewhere else it's there's so many kind of little topics wrapped in that big topic that really I really think actually my you ear. saying that
0: also brings me to uh Ollie's conversation about balancing the um sort of business aspect of, Ooh, yeah. of running a company with the creative aspect and I think that's the same when it comes to looking at the value of, of what you've produced. I, I don't really like the idea too much of value in art because, as I say, you know, some people are going to like some things, some people are not. There's always the way it's going to go. Um, yeah, I, I think there probably is a line whereby some things are fairly universally disliked and some things are fairly universally liked. And you could but, probably
1: make an argument that certain things are better than others, regardless of. But even swing then, of that's
0: not the same as value. True. Um. And so, yeah, I I guess in a way it is that business idea of, uh, and he was talking about it from the perspective of getting hired for a job. And quite frankly, you know, if someone has got a bunch of CVs in front of them and if they've got some directors that have worked with, lots of other people that Mm -hmm. they know and have worked with and and respect, and then they've got someone who has done a few shows all with the same company, which also happens to be their company and it's all self-produced, it's a way to, to differentiate and a way to perhaps give yourself a bit of assurance in terms of who you're hiring, I suppose, if, yeah. if someone's but got a track again, record with it, other people.
1: It could, e- it could easily swing the other way, which is like this person, yeah, they've been hired, but this person has taken X amount of personal initiative to go and, you know, to drive themselves. It's like, it's mm. it, you can, for, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, it seems to me, it's... it's honestly the the whole having especially having listened to it back um yeah. i it's really stumped me in terms of how i think <laughs> about these things like legitimately so uh i suppose i should thank him for that for yeah. drawing me deeper into the well of overthought once um, again we're
0: ending a podcast episode with you thinking
1: brilliant it doesn't happen often <laughs> so <laughs> oh, it's gotta um, happen sometime. sometimes 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 I have good thoughts as well, like smart things in the brain. Wow. I know. Not that you've ever heard it.
0: No, I'm still waiting. How many years have you been, been, Harry?
1: Uh, Too many. (laughs) Too many without a good thought. (laughs)
0: listening to the importance of staying earnest if you want to keep up with us outside of the podcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram at tiose underscore podcast or on facebook at the importance of staying earnest podcast if you would like to reach out to us you can find us at tiose.podcast at gmail.com please drop us a review if you enjoyed and we'll see you next time